0: That it's a lot of fun to fight them, you know. It's a hell of a hoot. Uh, it, it's fun to shoot some people. I'll be right up front you. Yeah, I like brawling. Semper Five.
1: Well, if you've been a Marine, you know those words are a battle cry, a greeting a Marine shorthand for the motto of the Corps: for Fidus,
2: Always Faithful."
0: The Bella Woodsman, Episode Seven: um, Celebrating everything Marine Corps from the serious to the absurd. I'm David. With me is Jeff. Hey-o. And Justin. Hello. And uh, I want to explain something real quick. Uh, we've actually recorded. The same episode twice before this, and that's why it's taken so long for us to get another episode up. Because we recorded the same episode twice, and it's the the recording software was messed up, and that's really being fixed as we speak. So I'm, I'm using an alternative recording software right now to uh, to um, to record this episode. So it's so it should be fine. Shouldn't be any problems, um, and we'll. We get back into the habit, hopefully, of getting one episode up every week, week and a half, two weeks, something like that, so we can have uh, have some have some content out there for you to listen to. Um, on this episode, we're going to talk about a few things. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, transitions, getting out of the Marine Corps, uh, coming home from deployments, things like that. Um, we'll all kind of get, uh, put in our perspectives and and uh, what we went through and and techniques and whatnot to to make that that process easier and then uh we're going to have a brief news break uh we're going to have we have a interview with a former senior drill instructor kyle christian uh that'll be the second part of the episode and then um we'll have the memorial moment and that'll be that and um hopefully we'll have another episode up for you quickly next week hopefully um but moving straight into our our show um We've uh, a, a theme we've talked about quite a bit in this show, I think, uh, on and off, uh, multiple episodes, is the uh, the idea of of we've kind of like skirted the edges of things like PTSD, things that veterans have to deal with when they come home. Um, you know the the skills you 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 learn when you when you're in, and how they transition into civilian life. And um, I think it's kind of past due for a discussion about those issues on this show and um i think i'm just gonna start it off by kind of throwing it out there and asking maybe um jeff if you wouldn't mind just talking about i guess um generally speaking how it was when you got out and how it was adjusting to civilian life and and uh going to college and getting your gi bill set up and all that
3: sure um I'll preface this by saying that when I got out, it was a heck of a lot better experience than uh, a lot of the guys that I served with. Um, And the reason being was um, when, after my last deployment, I went to Paris Island and I worked there um, as a a marksmanship instructor. So I I didn't get out from the fleet, which means there was no real op tempo, um, I guess, precluding or... um, Hastening the the whole seps taps process. I, I hear uh, from a lot of my buddies that got out uh, from the fleet Just how uh, what how much of a joke that was? Uh, and and you know looking back on it. I mean even even mine I got out uh, From Paris Island, but we did our steps and taps on the air station uh, Even there it, it was kind of a joke Um you know, the same guy that's been teaching the same resume class week after week, uh, you know, for, for 20 years. You know, yeah. he, he obviously did not want to be there. And uh, the resume class, I mean, I, I wrote the resume. Uh, he said it was a great resume. Um, I did not get hired by any job until I completely rewrote that resume. So, <laughs> so, so yeah. there's that so if there's anyone out there listening um uh, who's you know high up in headquarters marine corps that thinks seps and taps process uh is is worth a shit uh just come come talk to uh, anybody that had to go through it
0: um, <laughs> i remember going to to seps um when i got back from iraq in 03 and it was me and a bunch of short timers obviously you know um and uh, they were we were all grunts we had just come back from combat and the guy teaching the class we all sat in this classroom and he uh, he had us write our names on this little name tag and and the job we want to get when we get out you know and you know you're asking a bunch of grunts to do this and take it seriously and uh it's it's hard i remember there were probably three porn stars um you know like a, one male prostitute i think was in there i mean it's like you know we're, we're all about to get out of this of this thing we've been going through and it's like it was all this kind of general kind of, um, you know, like you said, PowerPoints after PowerPoints. And it's just like, can you just check this box and sign this thing off saying I did it so I can get out?
3: That's all it is, 100%. I mean, it's a check in the box for you so you can get out. And it's a check in the box for them so that they can say they did it. I mean, that's that's all it is. Uh, and I think everyone knows. Everyone has to know. I, Everyone has to know it's a sham, right? I mean. Yeah.
0: So, Justin when when you were getting out um was there like a short-timer's attitude uh around your unit among the guys who were all getting out at the same time?
2: Um I think it was it was probably different for us because like in the air wing it's more about the aircraft and making sure they're up and can fly and there's not really you're, you're still working it's not you know it's like we we took you know we had small detachments that went to places like Bridgeport and this, this stuff and whatnot but we didn't really if you were back at Miramar, you were maintaining aircraft. So there wasn't really a chance to like I I was still to my last day where you know, did my, my morning and evening pass down in my shop. I mean it was it was no different for me that day than it was any other day, except that when I left I didn't have to come back. <laughs> but no, I mean <laughs> but other than that, no, it really wasn't much different on my end. Um, there were a lot of people that, that oh, though yeah they they really stopped caring but you know I I was I didn't I, I had a job to do and and I did it until until my last day and then that was it I left well, well good for you
0: I mean I, I didn't even think about that you know about the whole the idea that see in the in the, in the infantry it's like you know the I, I guess I'm not sure if it's a different attitude but generally speaking if if you're tasked with something uh, that we feel is we get a lot of asinan kind of you know, dumb assignments, busy work, basically, because we don't really have jobs. I mean, we don't have day-to-day things we have to do every day. We, have, we go PT, we go work on the vehicles if we're drivers, you know, and then we clean our weapons, we do gun drills and all that stuff, but we spend a lot of time sitting in our hiding out in our rooms playing Halo or, uh, you know, whatever. And really, my last month in the Marine Corps, um, on, at least on base, I was skating, like, absolutely as much as possible. Like, I had my curtains pulled in my room. I think I beat, I played um, on Xbox. It was uh, uh, Knights of the Old Republic. Um, I played that and beat the whole game. Like, that was that was pretty much my last working month in the Marine Corps was that. And, of course, going to, like, these stupid steps classes, and it was going checking off boxes, but there was no one supervising us, and we had nothing to do. Uh, so it was kind of like a vacation, really, uh, on the government dime, I guess. But, yeah, I mean, it was, it was yeah, go ahead
3: i uh, said so that's that's, you know, one aspect, and, you know, and the thing of it is, and this this is not like an uncommon um, experience that I'm about to say, uh, you know, I had a friend of mine, and, you know, he was just basically skating his last, you know, couple months or a couple weeks in, in the fleet, whatever, and he wanted to uh, not even get out early, but he wanted to, you know, just get a little bit more time off so he could go to the local community college out there and just take a couple classes and, and do some stuff and the command wouldn't let him because he had to go to the field and basically just be a warm buddy, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, that's the, yeah you know, I, I, understand the command, uh, you know, mindset, you know, they are there, uh, you know, they don't really have to help us transition. Uh, they, you know, that's not their, their mission whatsoever, but I mean, just, uh, you know, just to uh, to shit this guy out of a, a possible opportunity just so that he could go to the field and, and be a warm buddy, right. which is, you know, all, all he had to do. It was, it was a little bit of asinine, I think.
0: Right. I remember, uh, and, and something else about transitioning out, like, the, the guys that taught our transitions class were, I think they were, they seemed like they were into it, and they were nice and all, and, uh, and they had, you know, they were heartfelt about their advice, but some of it was just terrible advice. Like... One of them said to always carry a business card with your resume on it, and if you see oh. some, and if you see if you see someone out who looks like they could give you a job, run up and give them your business card with your resume on it. And I was thinking, at the time, it seemed like I, that, that's I guess so, but like once I got out into the actual working world, I was like, that's like the dumbest idea I've ever heard. I mean, they run up to someone at a restaurant who's eating there, who's sitting there eating dinner, and just drop a business card on their debt on their in front of them with a resume on it like I don't know it just seemed like something that would that would get on my nerves if I were a a person who looked important, you know. I don't know. Maybe maybe I maybe, maybe that does work. I don't know, but it just seemed like terrible advice. Um but yeah, that was it was a lot of that. I mean, and something else like we did the the medical check and all that stuff and it was really before kind of the the wave of of injuries and all that stuff and the, the whole PTSD stuff the, the the we got no real um, advice on the VA claims process we got no information really about VA healthcare they gave us the option of keeping our TRICARE I think at an exorbitant rate um, we had uh, yeah none of that none of that and, and, Really, uh, I'm not sure how it is now uh, I'm not sure if you, if either of you got that when you got out. I guess Jeff probably would have because it was a little later. But
3: When, uh, when I got out in 2009, uh, and, and again, I got out uh, from uh, a pretty, uh, I will say, uh, non-expeditionary type base. Um, they did have a VA rep come and talk to us, uh, and it, it was such a good experience. I, I'm, I'm so glad that I, I had this done. This is the only good thing I can say about the whole t- Seps and Taps experience. I handed this VA rep my medical record. They flipped through it and said, you know, they handed me a piece of paper, and she said, claim this, 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 and that, uh, and then hand it back to me, and I did. And then uh, within 60 days, um, you know, I'm getting calls from the VA, you know, did all my, uh, you know, evaluations or whatever, and I got everything that she told me to claim. So I I, I can't say enough, you know, uh, good things about that aspect. Uh, I will say that, you know, all my buddies that got out from 29 Palms didn't get any of that. So,
2: yep. Yeah, there was no, uh, we got that at Miramar. Did we got really? that at Miramar. Yeah, oh. the same thing. We uh, we actually had a pretty good. Uh, I don't remember really remember the resume writing stuff, but I do remember that you know there was some pretty pretty solid advice, if nothing else, than for the benefits that you are entitled to by being a veteran. They they did really good with uh, with explaining that stuff, huh. or at least pointing you in a direction to where you can go and figure it out on your own. But they they covered a lot of ground that stuff that I I never knew existed.
0: Interesting. So when you guys got out, um, I guess, um, not trying to pry into your histories or anything like that, but uh, I guess when when you guys got out, did because I was enrolled in VA healthcare pretty quickly, um, but I had to go through that whole process myself. So when you all got out, that was already pretty much done for you.
3: Yes, uh, there's some sort of thing, and and I don't know the you know correct verbiage for it, but when you apply for VA and you do it while you're still on active duty, you basically get fast-tracked. They explained it to me uh, that, you know, if I applied while I was still active, uh, I'd get an answer back within uh, 90 days versus, you know, uh, if I got out and and applied, it could take, you know, up to six months or a year.
0: Hmm. So um, I'm going to start with you, Justin, kind of putting you on the spot here. Uh, What was your first job when you got out?
2: Oh, let's see. I worked uh, security at the Marriott Hotel and Marina in downtown San Diego, uh, which is where we actually had our last Marine Corps ball. I loved loved the property, it had, like a thirty thirty yacht, you know, uh, boat slip, and all this other stuff. And I worked there for a few days, broke with my girlfriend, and drove back to Louisville. <laughs> <laughs> and then I worked at Rhodes Furniture in the warehouse for a while, and and I was and then worked uh, DHL driving a truck, and then I got an EMS.
0: You know what i think of when i think of dhl i don't know if you ever watched the sopranos or not either you guys watched the sopranos of course yes yeah you know in the uh the episode where they go to kill um phil leotardo and they murder his his guma instead there's a italian <laughs> one of the italian guys knocks on the door and says dhl <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with a thick italian accent that's what i think of every, every time um what about you jeff
3: uh, see, I have only had three jobs since I've been out. Um, I got out, uh, immediately, uh, got hooked up with Voke rehab and they sent me through, a uh, commercial diving school. So I, I learned how to be a, an underwater welder. Um, I got a job, it is sort of a, a, a bullshit uh, company, but I got a job and, uh, I worked for them for about a year, um, doing the whole underwater, uh, you know, commercial diving type thing. Uh, that's when the uh, the oil rig out in the Gulf blew up, and uh, all of the offshore divers came inshore, and I basically got put out of a job. So I decided I still have my GI Bill, so I, I used that. And uh, while I was going to school, um, I was working full time in Miami, um, as a uh, security guard on a boat, I just you know zipping around Biscayne Bay around these you know multi-million dollar uh, yachts and stuff like that, basically just goofing off and getting paid for it. Mm-hmm. and uh then then I got uh, hired on with a lettered agency
0: got it yeah, I remember years ago I remember seeing your uh some of your facebook posts about stuff going on in the uh in uh with the coast guard and and stranded mm-hmm. yachts and different things
3: oh yeah yeah yeah
0: i worked uh, <clears throat> when I first got back i don't I didn't really actually work. I went straight into full- time college uh my wife worked full time uh at the time and I, I worked part time after uh I think starting in, like, January of 04, I started working part-time as a security guard at, like, a uh, at a warehouse in Shepherdsville. And it was the easiest job I've ever done in my entire life. It required really no movement and for roughly four hours a day. And, I, I mean, I think someone could probably have killed over dead and sat there for days and no one would have even noticed. Um, and, uh and it was actually a pretty sweet hookup for someone who was in school because I could sit there and do all my homework Um, but uh, but yeah I went straight straight into uh, undergraduate and and you know it's one of those things where I remember when I first joined the Marine Corps they told you you come out with all these skills like leadership skills and all this other stuff and I found that that stuff is helpful I mean to you personally but it doesn't look all that impressive on a resume at least in my experience Um,
2: and civilians can't handle it that's true
3: yeah, I mean, unless the person who's interviewing you actually, I think, actually served or has, you know, um, had a chance to be, uh, I guess, exposed to some, you know, military person, uh, you know, you're, you're really just, you know, barking up the wrong tree. I mean, and 99% of the time with, with the, the military stuff on your resume.
0: Yeah, well, and back then when I first got out, like the Iraq combat veteran thing looked actually really impressive because there weren't a lot of us back yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we first got back from Iraq in 2003, I remember getting off the bus in 29 Palms and you guys, are, I think we're still over there, uh, in Karbala and, right. um, we got off the bus and stepped onto the base and we were like one of the first people, first groups to ever come back to 29 Palms. And there was a big band and our families were there and we drove by the, uh, on the way in, we drove by the JT saloon. Mm -hmm. And like everyone, it was like midnight. Everyone in the JT saloon was out on the street and like cheering for us as we drove by. It was cool. We got a police escort. It was, it was really awesome. But like we went to like Palm Springs the next day and we told somebody, we were at Best Buy and a conversation struck up with somebody in line or something. I can't remember how it all went down, but he didn't believe us. We were like, we just came back from Iraq. And he's like, no, no one's back from that yet. I'm like, yeah, (laughs) here, here we are. (laughs) It's us. Um, but yeah, and and so that the, I say all that to say that, it Iraq veteran was was kind of impressive at the time. But even that did not really get me get really my foot in the door anywhere. Um, you know, unless you have a boss like you said who's or a a hiring manager or whatever that is really interested in or was a marine himself or has a kid that's in the marines or something like that. But that never happened to me. Um, but uh, but I did find that that experience the best thing about. I've said this before. One of the best things about my entire Marine Corps experience was that it gave me the discipline to finish these things because I have, I come from, in my family, a lot of people went about, you know, three, four months of college and quit. And I'm the first one to ever uh, finish a bachelor's degree. And I probably would not have done that had I not gone to the Marine Corps and decided that I didn't want to lift heavy things the rest of my life. Right. So, so I will say that they helped out a lot. Just didn't help necessarily with the, uh, the job search, per se. Final thoughts, anybody? Jeff?
3: Um, I mean, <laughs> we can talk about school uh, using the GI Bill.
0: Oh, yeah. Talk about that because uh, I I remember hearing some hilarious stories about people in your class at Upstate who said some of the dumbest stuff I've ever heard in my life.
3: Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, it was quite terrible. Um, <laughs> just, And I'd sit in the back of the class, and here I am, you know, a 30-year-old freshman. <laughs> and just some of these mouth breathers. Uh, <laughs> my, my first geology class, I took rocks for jocks, of course. And, um, you know, kids like, wait, you mean to tell me that there are volcanoes in Alaska? Well, why is it so cold there? You know, it just. <laughs> oh,
2: <my> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
3: people, uh, this, this girl sat right beside me in my, uh, my government class uh, in big, uh, bold letters on the outside of her notebook, totally misspelled government.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. future of america right there
3: yeah exactly uh i mean it, it wasn't as bad i mean once i got into the, like the upper level class classes but i mean the first two years i'm just like fuck beans is this is this what this is i mean am I, what am i doing here you know um a, a year ago uh, i was in charge of, of 25 marines and two corpsmen you know a couple million dollars worth of gear i was out there doing my own stuff you know running missions by myself and and now I'm sitting next to this mouth breather that can't spell government in government class.
0: <laughs> I had a uh, I took a a class called Religions of the East and it was at uh, at IU and uh, India and um, the professor uh, this is 2004 right before the election I think the professor turned on this it was a woman she turned on this video of the Chinese invasion of Tibet and uh, all this video of like the torture of the monks and all these stories, blah, 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 blah. And at, she turned the video off and she said, so how does, um, so how, how is this, it, or the implication was that she asked a question, I can't remember how she phrased it, but the implication was that what we had just seen was just like the US invasion of Iraq. And uh, that the invasion and rape of Tibet was exactly like the invasion of Iraq. And she said, she said, well, what about Abu Ghraib and all this stuff? And I raised my hand and said, I think it's grossly inappropriate to compare Iraq to Tibet because, you know, we're over there trying, risking our lives to prevent, keep from killing people, killing innocent people. We're not raping, torturing anybody. Everyone in Abu Ghraib who's in those pictures is still alive today. And the professor kind of gets buttoned up and was like, oh, that's a good answer. Next, next subject. <laughs> <laughs> You know and it's like and then you're surrounded by people who have no life experience whatsoever no right you know and they they not that there's anything wrong with living with mom and dad while you're in college necessarily but they've never had to actually hold a job and they have these whack ideas about economics and the way the the world ought to work
2: that Oh, hundred percent yeah
0: uh, totally unrealistic you know
3: just just the you know the, the craziest ideas you know that whatever vogue idea um, is you know popular uh, that month and, or, or week as it is now. And, uh, you know, absolutely zero life experience to back it up. Yeah. That, that was, you know, one of my chief complaints, but I mean, you know, it, on, on one hand, you know, let them be young and retarded. I mean, that's, you know, I guess part of being young is get to be retarded. So I just basically sat in the back of the class, kept my head down
0: and did my stuff. Yeah. I tried not to. And the, the incident that I, that I mentioned a minute ago is one of the few times I ever actually had to really take anyone to task cause it just pissed me off. Mm-hmm. But like overall, you know, I throughout life in general, and on Facebook, I've learned that you know that you can just walk away and it's okay. <laughs> you can, sometimes, you can, yeah, sometimes but you can you can walk I mean you can walk out of that class, you can walk away from that conversation, and everything would be all right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, okay, uh, we'll continue this discussion uh, another day because there's a lot more to talk about probably even have maybe a transitions part two where we talk oh heck yeah we bring in uh, I have a friend who's a VA rep uh, and uh, he can come and talk to us maybe but uh, anyway so uh, moving on quickly to our news break brought to you by me Um, Dateline Columbia not Columbia, South Carolina, and not District of Columbia, Columbia the country. Um, a soldier in Columbia, um, this is news from um, actually just last week, for a spent since June 10th with a M203 round apparently lodged in his skull. Um, apparently it was fired into his face during a training a training exercise. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and, and I'm going to send you guys a picture of the uh, x-ray right now. That's how, that's how it looks. Uh, I don't know if you guys can see that or not, but uh, that's how it looks as in203 round stuck in his face. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I would be fascinated to see the actual huh. picture, but I can't find one of the actual like exterior picture. but the good news is is that uh, whoever this idiot is was well, actually I shouldn't say idiot, whoever uh, this is, not necessarily an idiot because they could have been shot in the face by an idiot. Most likely that was the case actually uh had it removed successfully without it exploding apparently that's been the problem is being able to find a way to extract it without the thing exploding but apparently it did he survived and um you know good for him or you know (laughs) godspeed so that's been the news break from me we're going to take a break real fast and we will be right back you are listening to the bellow Woodsman, celebrating everything marine corps from the serious to the absurd this podcast is powered by Simplecast. Please like and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Bellow Woodsman and send us your thoughts and reactions via email at thebellowwoodsman@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Now, on with the show. Joining us is former senior drill instructor, uh, Sergeant Kyle Christian. Sergeant Christian, would you mind um, summarizing your career your Marine Corps career from boot camp up to the point where you, uh, attended
1: DI school. Okay. Uh, yeah. Let me see here. So let me boot camp up here. All right. Yeah. So, um, I joined the Marine Corps in 2005. Um, I was a recruit down in Parris Island, South Carolina. Um, from that point, I graduated there and went to, uh, got stationed out. And uh, when well, I stationed, but I went to artillery school in uh, Fort Sill, Oklahoma. I was there for a few months, got my training, and then I got stationed in Hawaii for my first duty station out there at uh, Kaneohe Bay. So I was there for a bit, uh, about four years, and then uh, finally was able to put in my drone instructor package. Uh, I wanted to be a drone instructor since by my sophomore or junior year of high school. Um, so then I got out there, finally, you know, was about to get promoted to sergeant and was able to put in my package uh, to become a drone instructor. So um, package got accepted and then I uh, got orders to Paris Island, which is where I wanted to go. Uh, so after that, executed my orders, went to drone instructor school for a few months and then uh, got assigned to my battalion. And, uh, yeah, so then I, I yeah, uh, went on vacation there for a little bit and then picked up. Well, I didn't pick up my first cycle. I uh, had to do what's called bird dogging. So it's basically I kind of trained with some other platoons for a little while until uh, my actual first platoon was going to start.
0: So uh, describe drill instructor school for us, if you wouldn't mind.
1: Drill uh, instructor school? It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, well, it was, you know, it wasn't too challenging, I guess, specifically for me. I can't speak for others. Um, maybe just a little bit more the academics was challenging. It's not necessarily being a recruit all over again. It was just because um, it's, it's a professional school. So they, yeah, they teach you how to be a drone but they teach you how to be a professional Marine, I guess you can, you can call it. Um, so you learn a lot about the history uh, of Marine Corps, of uh, kind of recruit training, just overall things that you're gonna have to teach recruits when that time comes. Then you learn how to do like squad bay procedures, uh, which is just, you know, kind of the training of how to, how to, how to um, be able to train that, that mass massive amounts of, uh, of recruits. Do
0: you have any um, interesting stories you'd be willing to share from your time on the island?
1: Any interesting stories? Oh, man. There's, you know, the whole time was, <laughs> it was an interesting time. Recruits are, recruits are funny. They're, uh, I can't, you know, it's hard for me to think of one off the top of my head. People always ask me that. Tell me something funny. And, uh, I don't know. I just, you know, there, there's funny moments, but it's it's hard to remember when you're, when you're in it because you're pretty serious all the time. Um. But I would say, like, um, you know, just recruits do some off-the-wall stuff. I, I would say probably one of the funniest moments, I guess, I just thought about was, it. you know, recruit training can almost be like prison sometimes as far as uh, – and the fact that recruits are always trying to get have stuff sent to them. Um, so I noticed one time some recruit – I can't remember if it, was, if it was like our platoon or if it was a different platoon, but a recruit was having his parents m- mail him – pieces of a cell phone, and so he was putting them together in the middle of the night so he could make a phone call and and call home. So that's probably one of the the funniest, more interesting uh, stories I've heard.
0: Were there any uh, running inside jokes, I guess,
1: between uh, the drill instructors and your platoon? Uh, Inside jokes between drill instructors. Uh, you know, we all, we always joke around, you know, when we have time, whenever we're not around recruits, maybe just talk a little smack to each other about each other's platoon, how we're doing a drill, uh, that type of thing.
2: You know, sometimes, you
1: know, recruits will do something and, you know, you try not to laugh in front of the presence and then, you know, maybe later on, you know, you get in the duty hut when, you, you know, when you're by yourselves and just kind of, you know, crack a little joke about <laughs> whatever a, re- a recruit did or some some silly stuff like that. So, um yeah, but I mean, what else? What else would you guys like to know? So,
0: how much of the drill instructor rage is real and authentic, and how much of it is just for show?
1: Um, now, of course, like I said, I'm gonna speak. I'm only speaking for myself. I'm not speaking for any anyone else. Um, uh, I do. You, your question is: Do you legitimately get mad at recruits? And absolutely. Um, I, I think maybe when I was a recruit, I you know you kind of had this thing or this thought that uh, it's all just a show, whatever. And I think it's easy to think that as a recruit because you don't really know. But after becoming a drill instructor and seeing it from the opposite side, um, it's really not a show, and it's it's not a show because it's something that you're very passionate about. Something that I was very passionate about, and. And I was very passionate about it because at the end of the day, it was I legitimately had to train this 18-year-old, 20-year-old, however old the individual was, to go and you know be ready for a combat environment. And with that being said, you take a lot of you take a lot of considerations and you think about a lot of things as far as okay, yeah, yeah, this is just the basics of you know the foundation for this individual and where they're about to go. But also, you think about, you know, yourself as a leader, you think about the things that um, the leadership that you had when you were younger, and you just, you know, you want to do a good job. You want to set these individuals up, these young men, young women, to be uh, to be successful. Um, you may be the only person, well, you're not, more likely not going to be the only person that they meet that's going to be a good, you know, a good influence, but you definitely want to set that at set that temple, set that foundation. And... You know, you want to make sure these young these young men get home safe and back to their families and back to their, you know, to their friends, all that good stuff. So, but I guess to legitimately answer your question, you know, do, you get, do I get mad? Absolutely. I get mad, like I said, because I'm passionate, because I want them to understand the seriousness of what they're getting themselves into, that it's not, you know, you hear the phrase all the time, oh, it's not a video game, but it's really not. It's really not a video game. And if they go in there with that mindset thinking that they're not doing something, that I specifically tell them, or that any Marine, for that matter, tells them, you know, depending on what it is, without hesitation, then you could lose a life. So it's important that you instill that discipline in them so they understand that instant obedience to orders is just that instant obedience to orders. Of course, depending on, you know, whatever the situation may be. So,
0: Is there a hazing problem on uh, on the recruit depots?
1: I don't know if there's a hazing problem or not um in recruit training i guess you know what define hazing i mean in and, and some people would say that recruit training is nothing but hazing but i mean it's it's your indoctrination it's the Marine Corps but it's it's training it's uh used to you know benefit you in the long run but i don't think that there's um i don't think there's a hazing problem in recruit training i don't think there's a a hazing problem in the Marine Corps. Are there individuals that do it? Yes. I mean, I'm sure there is. Of course there is. Um, and that, that could be in any environment that you go to, any environment that you work in, um, you may face face hazing. But of course, it also depends on the individual as well. People forget that a lot. You know, hazing becomes a factor when the individual doesn't like something that's going on. So I don't know of any recruit that likes, you know, what's going on in recruit training. I mean, they're getting... You know they're getting limited hours of sleep you know limited amounts of food They have, you know they're being pushed past their limits um you know it's not a good time so as far as that goes I mean you know no, I don't necessarily think there's a hazing problem but there's always you know some individuals that take things a little bit too far unfortunately and kind of ruin things for everybody else but I wouldn't necessarily say that there's a, a hazing problem um, as far as that goes
0: you were elevated to a senior drill instructor position when you were still a sergeant correct
1: yes i was a senior drill instructor as a sergeant uh, which is very rare for individuals to do down there on the depot um majority of times you have to be at least a staff nco or above to be a senior drill instructor but i uh i busted my butt to um to get to that point and it was not exactly how I hoped it was going to go. I enjoyed it though, but you know, it's just, at the same time, you know, it was, it was a difficult. You know, recruits are always trying to take you out sometimes, and you probably wonder, well, what do you mean they're trying to take you out? So I'll, I'll just explain that real quick. Um, you know, you, you have you, in recruit training, you have all, all types of people um, come come to you to be trained from different backgrounds, all kind of stuff, and uh, so you know, some some can make it, some can't, and then there's some individuals that just uh, reach reach a point where man, they just they ruin your whole career over something that's uh, not even that you know what is, what is that excuse me wasn't even um, serious, I guess you could say. Long story short, had a recruit that fell out of the rack fell out of his bed. For those of you who don't know who, what a rack is, fell out of his bed in the middle of the night, and uh, you know my general soldier's pretty much almost got soldiers uh, almost got relieved uh, because you know they thought this recruit that they had done something to recruit, but that wasn't the case. So,
0: what have you done since you uh, got out of the Marine Corps?
1: Uh man, just try to, to try to survive. Really, um, it's difficult being a veteran and getting out. Um, because, you know, it's a, it's a whole new world. I didn't necessarily have a job that transferred over into the civilian sector. Uh, I didn't have a college background, that type of thing. So um, I was doing some truck driving for a little bit and uh, applying to police departments, trying to get hired there. And uh, finally kind of found my, my niche and started going to school for aviation. So that's what I do now, man. I'm going to school for aviation. Recently was um, sent a... Uh, a job offer from a uh, police department and uh that's what i'm working on man so just flying planes which is probably going to be my main thing to uh that i want to do as my ne- as my next career and uh do this police thing for a little bit and just keep it moving man just try to be you know a good a good positive role model for everyone and hopefully one day kind of get back to everyone else man
0: thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us
1: Absolutely, dude. No problem. Sorry, I couldn't be a little bit longer. Sorry, it's kind of quick, and sorry, the connection wasn't that good. So I hope that uh, hope that gives you guys a little bit of information, you know, for what you're trying to do. And I guess if we get another time when you want to do another interview in a better location or something. Um, you know, we can we can try and set that up. All right. Sounds good.
0: All right. And now um, to Justin for our memorial moment.
2: Uh, tonight we're going to uh, remember Master Gunnery Sergeant Leland Lou Diamond, who was born in 1890, and he died in uh, 1951. He joined the Marine Corps at uh, 27 years old, and uh, he is the classic example of the old breed. This guy did not care about rank. He did pretty much what he wanted. He was 5'11", 200 pounds, and was known as a honker sometimes. Um, and on Guadalcanal, they considered him a human air raid warning system. He considered anybody with less than 10 years in the Marine Corps a boot. I mean, this guy was the epitome of, when you think the old breed, and you think, you know, of a gunny walking around and punching majors and, and doing just whatever he wanted, this is the Marine that that I think of. And Lou Diamond Phillips is actually named after this guy. Uh, but he fought in the Battle of Bella Woods. He spent two months on Guadalcanal and, for whatever reason, they made him leave the island against his will. He had he had some sort of uh, uh, some sort of uh, physical disabilities, um, and they had to fly him out. But he but he absolutely didn't want to leave. And he's when I think of the old Marine Corps, this is the guy I think of. So here's to you, Master Guns, Lou Diamond, hurrah!